From a career perspective, how often do you think of charting a new path by trying something different? What obstacles would stand in your way? What fears would you need to overcome? How uncomfortable would it make you feel to be at the bottom of the learning curve? For many who have experienced setbacks, been laid off, sustained an injury, this reinvention or new career path may have been forced upon them. Michelle Obama popularized the term swerving. In simple terms, a swerve or sudden career switch is a change of direction, unexpected or abrupt. For Michelle, meeting someone who saw success as a winding road with many diversions helped her rethink her approach to her career. She considered herself a quote-unquote box checker before having met Barack and obviously starting a family. In this episode, you will meet Ashley Battle and hear her swerve journey. After playing in the WNBA for six years, starting in 05, her playing career ended due to sciatic nerve pain in 11. Through our conversation, Ashley will share her inspirational story and practical tips as to how you too can genuinely seek the openness to new possibilities and reignite your passion. As someone whose core identity was her work, basketball, Ashley will talk about how she distanced herself from basketball and certainly the emotions that went behind and through that experience. She'll also touch on how the tough love from her mother proved to be a compelling event towards her swerve. Last and certainly not least, Ashley shares her perspective on gender and race in corporate America and provides words of encouragement to allies around the world. Enjoy the episode, subscribe, and leave a review on Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. Follow us on Instagram and visit our site at drivingambition.life. When the history of our times is written, it must record as supremely significant the physical, psychic, and social changes women have undergone. Ashley Battle, welcome to the Driving Ambition podcast. Thank you. It's so good to see you. Thanks for having me. It's uh, it's been a long time coming. I think the inception of this podcast included you on the list, and and believe it or not, that was at the beginning of the pandemic. So um, I had the good fortune of having met you through Joe Malord, and Joe Malord is part of the LinkedIn editorial team. You were part of and interviewed with him uh, as part of the Next Play series, Mm -hmm. which was absolutely amazing. And it chronicled current and former athletes and their career transitions into the professional world. And so for anyone listening, you know, those videos are are absolutely still live. And through Joe, you came to the Empire State Building and I had you speak to our team uh, specifically in sharing your corporate and athletic experience around teamwork and how you can excel as a team and comparing and contrasting that to your own individual desires and, 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 and everything that's kind of enthralled with that. So such a, such a great story. I think, you know, before we kind of tee this episode up, I highly encourage everyone to consider you for uh, speaking engagements, especially given everything that's going on in the world. And so speaking of that, you know, we'll certainly get to the career swerving aspects and things that that I've touched on 
that people will have heard in the in the monologue. But for those that don't know you as well, who is Ashley Battle? Wow, who's Ashley Battle? Uh, you know, a kid from I guess I'm not a kid anymore, but a kid from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who you know had aspirations of being a successful basketball player um, and being a successful you know person. Um, and I'm from Pittsburgh, as I just mentioned. I ended up leaving Pittsburgh to go to a boarding school in, in Wheeling, West Virginia, which is about an hour outside of Pittsburgh. Um, and it wasn't for basketball. A lot of people think that I went there because they had like this great prep school basketball team. Actually, the basketball program was terrible. And um, it was more so along the lines of, you know, having – my academics meet where I was athletically. Um, I was getting, I was fortunate enough to play on a really successful um, AAU team and we had a lot of players go division one. Um, so I was getting recognized in the seventh grade as a talented player. That's when I received my first scholarship letter. So I knew in the seventh grade, I would get a scholarship to play basketball. I just didn't know where I would go, but I knew that I would at least get a free education. Wow. And um, so I thought it was important. My mom thought it was important to go there, which was, you know, a great decision. Um, I still have a lot of friends, friends there. I still talk to a lot of the administrative people, go back and speak to the kids when I can. Mm -hmm. um, and from there, I went to UConn um, and we won a lot of games there. It was really at the beginning of their, um, the success of the program. Uh, and while I was there, I won three national championships, defensive player of the year. Um, and, and we were just really successful, but you, I learned so much about myself, so much about what it means to be a teammate, so much about being a leader, even though maybe your coaches didn't appoint you to be the captain of the team, mm -hmm. but essentially you are a person that people go to for support and and go to for guidance um and some of my best memories are you know being with my teammates you know and we're still all really tight today i played with some of some people who are considered you know basketball royalty you know and they are considered some of the best i've ever played a game and um i'm very fortunate in that regard i didn't know that i would get drafted i wasn't really expecting to get drafted to the wba mm -hmm. Um, you know, because when you play sports at a high level, you get labeled, every athlete gets labeled, whether they deserve it or not, um, whether it's correct or not, <laughs> they get labeled. And I was labeled as a defensive player who couldn't shoot, who couldn't do these things offensively, which definitely wasn't the case because I'm like, I still scored over a thousand points at UConn. Like not, it's mm -hmm. not something that just happens to people who can't score there. Um, so I end up getting drafted to the WNBA where I, I got challenged and it was, it was really awesome because I got drafted to Seattle and I'm like, this is great. Sue's at Seattle. And then the first round draft pick was someone was Tanisha Wright, who I grew up with here in Pittsburgh. So I'm like, this is even better. This is fantastic. Right. And, and so, but that's where, you know, we were just talking a little bit ago about the business of being a professional athlete 
And even though you may have ties to different athletes who are currently on that team, and even though you play better than a lot of people who are currently on that team, you know, where you're drafted, the money situation may be the determining factor if you're going to remain on that team, which was definitely the case in my case, you know, it wasn't because I wasn't talented enough. It was because I made more money than somebody else. And you could, and if you could cut budget, then, then you can. And, and that's what they did. So it had mm-hmm. nothing to do with my talent level. But as a young player, you think it's because of your talent level when there's a lot of outside factors that are playing into whether or not you're going to be on this team or not. And they definitely don't tell you those outside factors, but just know mm-hmm. that it's 90% of the time. It's not because of your talent, uh, your talent level. With the topic of swerving or career switching, let's, let's kind of get into that. And, you know, yeah. I think your story um, certainly uh, provides and has always to me provided a, an element of inspiration for myself and for uh, everyone that you impact because with that long list of accomplishments, you made mention of um, your career at and, and um, collegiate uh, experience at UConn, undefeated seasons, national championships, playing in the WNBA, working for the NBA. What were some of the external or and or internal factors that caused you yourself to swerve? Yeah, I mean... The- you know, starting from college, really, you know, Gino challenges you. Like, he's not he's not easy on his players. Like, he's going to challenge you. And, you know, I just talked a little bit about, you know, understanding a lot about who I am and, and discovering those things. You know, a lot of it was because, you know, he pushes you to reach limits that you're, you're not even sure that you're capable of reaching. Um, and, and, that set, that set the foundation of, you know, okay, you're going to go to Seattle and I got cut and it's not necessarily because of my talent level, but I knew that I was confident in myself to be like, no, it's not, I can prove to people that I belong. Mm -hmm. So I ended up going overseas, playing overseas and ended up having a successful career with um, New York and played, played, uh, had a successful career in the WNBA as well. But it really, that really kind of set the foundation of, you know, who you are, you know, what, and, and never giving up and continue to work hard and, and those things. But when you're done playing basketball and this, and this is something that I I did my entire life, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think, I think now you, you hear a lot more about mental health and, and staying healthy mentally. Um, And it's, and I think it's just so important for athletes to do that because when you do something your entire life and, and I'm like many athletes where my career ended on an injury, you know, I had a really bad sprained ankle. Um, I was having sciatic nerve issues, pain running down my leg and numbing my leg. And, and those things happen to athletes all the time. You, you know, this is the other side of things that people don't really talk about, like the things that you put your body through and now you can't do that. Now you can't go play you know, it's, it's really hard mentally. And I went through a spell where I was just like, I couldn't believe it. I just, I just couldn't believe that I was not right. playing and that I was hurt. And, um, and, you know, you start getting into these like 
you know, depressed states or whatnot. And I, I'm fortunate that I have a really good family and support system because a really funny story, like my mom, she, um, I mean, I'm sh- I don't know the age, the age range of people who are listening to this, but like a, cu- a few years ago, there was like a game that was really popular called rock band. Mm. you know and like you have like these plastic guitars like plastic drums and so i um i would play it all the time and i was like pretty good on the guitar and i'm like in actually this living room right here behind me i'm like standing there playing this game and my mom is like looking at me in disgust i mean like true disgust and she's not like that type of person to do that so i'm like okay what's going on here yeah. You know, I, I get done, I put it all away and I'm like, why are you looking at me like this? And she's like, why don't you just play a real guitar? And I was like, fine. And she's like, fine. So like, <laughs> so like literally that day we go out, purchase a guitar, start taking guitar lessons and we did it together. And it was just one of those things that really helped me. Little did I know she was trying to help me focus my energy, focus my attention on something else. So I wasn't really focusing on basketball, but mm-hmm. it really helped you know, help to help me start to climb out of what, whatever I was feeling and feeling with not being able to play. Um, so then it was like, okay, well, I need a job. Like, what am I, like, like, what am I going to do? Like, I'm unfortunately, you know, the WNBA doesn't make millions of dollars, like, like professional athletes on the men's side. Right. So I ended up getting into banking um, within a couple of years of being in banking, I was running my own branch. Um, and then a friend of mine, Maria Conlon, who I played with at UConn was like, Hey, what are you doing? I was like, I'm bored. <laughs> you know, like I was reaching all my goals. Um, I wasn't really, I didn't feel as though I was being challenged enough. Um, so I ended up going, moving back to Connecticut, got into financial services where I was the director of new business development at Barnum Financial Group. Um, So I would service 300 plus advisors and really try to help them narrow down their target markets and and devise a plan as to how they get into those markets. Um, You know, with with all of that happening, I ended up meeting um, a few people from a smaller boutique firm within the bigger firm. Chris Zapata and Tony Torino, and we all had like the same like goal and wanted to help athletes. Um, so because you, you, I mean, I don't know how many stories you read about athletes blowing all their money and just, they made a hundred million dollars and now they're filing bankruptcies. And, mm-hmm. and I, I wanted the, on the women's side for them to have a better financial situation, knowing that, you know, most women make, they make pretty good money in comparison to like the normal nine to five people. Um, and then p- coupled that with playing overseas, like you, you can make, I mean, an average player can make close to 200 grand a year, which is really good money. Um, but it's what you do with that money. Like, how are you, are you saving it? Are you not saving it? Are you blowing it all on Louis Vuitton bags? Like, what are you doing? So, um, we, I ended up moving to a smaller boutique firm, Barnum Wealth Management, that's now called 24 Wealth. And we, you know, started building a sports and entertainment division where we focused on athletes along with the other side of normal financial servicing, financial planning. But uh, Chris Zapata and I in particular really like dove 
been on servicing athletes. And I mean, and now when you're in that world, you just start, you start meeting people, you start meeting GMs, coaches, players, like you're just all over the place going to different events where I don't know how that's going to work now with, you know, (laughs) there's so many things that happen outside of the actual game that surrounds the game that, you know, I don't know how, how this is going to look moving forward. Um, but having said that, I ended up meeting people from the NBA and they told me about a program for former WNBA, NBA players where you could come in and learn like the business side of basketball. And I was like, oh, this sounds interesting. Like, what's this? Um, and I ended up doing different rotations within the NBA. Uh, and I'm now currently in the international department where I help with the player pathway of international women players who have aspirations to play collegiately in the United States or professionally in Europe or in the United States. Um, So we have NBA academies, basketball without borders. Um, There's not an academy on the women's side yet, but hopefully we'll, we'll be able to um, get that because I definitely, it's needed, you know, so we have NBA academies where, you know, in China, actually, the one in China just closed, but that's another story. So we have, uh, uh, there's some in India. We have partnerships in Australia, Africa. I mean, literally they're all over the world. Um, and so people within those regions on the men's side, they go, they go to school there. They train by top coaches from, from the States or within that region, um, learn the game more. And, and so I help them with their plan of how do you come to the States? You know, what does that look like? Like you need student visas, you need a visa, you know, how do, you know, we just devise a plan as far as like, do you need to go to prep school? Do you need to, um, what are your grades looking like? Do you have to take the SAT? Do you have to take the SAT? Do you have to take an X? I mean, there's just so many different things that, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you're from Canada and, and coming to the States and stuff like that. There's just so many different things that, um, you know, a foreign student has to go through in order to come here to go to school. You made mention of your mom and her support and tough love, especially when you were playing um, rock band. Just kind of crystallize and share with us, you know, how did you go through that journey? What was that journey like for you emotionally? You made mention of the mental health aspects, but was just kind of curious what that self-talk sounded like and, and what, you know, when that realization was when you're like, okay, I'm going to, you know, this was the compelling event. My mom said something and I'm going to crawl up out of this and thrive. Right. I, you know, you, you have a lot of whys, you know, just a lot of whys and why did this happen? You know, why did I get hurt? Is it because I'm not good enough, but I know that I'm talented enough. Why am I not getting called? I was like, what, you know, just a whole bunch of whys. And, and one thing that I'm a true believer in, there's a couple things that I'm a true believer in. One is that, you know, you can only control the things that you can control. And a lot of, a lot of that, um, a lot of that stuff is out of your control. You know, why am I not getting calls? You can't control that. Why did I get cut? I can't control that. You know, I can control my attitude and the thing and me playing and what I'm, what I'm putting out there. 
for myself. You know, I can't control how other people think of me. I can't control if they're going to hire me. I, I can't control any of that. I can just control the things that, with it, that are within my power. And, and also, you know, everything happens for a reason. You know, everything happens for a reason. And I'm, I'm a, you know, there may be people who are out there who are not a believer in the Lord, but I am. And I also believe that, like, through God, all things are possible. So I had, I was wrestling with all this, all, all of that, you know, just all of that was, was just happening all at the same time. And, you know, and my mom just really, I started climbing out of it. She just flicked the switch, which I didn't know she flicked, you know, like it happened without me even knowing that I started this healing process. Right. You know what I mean? And, and, you know, and I think as a human, we, we beat ourselves up all the time. Like we're always our own worst critic, you know, mm-hmm. and I still struggle with that. Like we are always just like, you could have done this. You could have been better. You could have done this. You could have done that. Why do I look like this? Why do I look like that? You know, like you're, you're always your own worst critic. And, and I have to, I work on that every day, trying not to like, you know, beat myself up. Like you're, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, and I have to tell myself all the time, like, no, you're a pretty cool person. You're doing some really amazing things. Like keep, keep striving to be better. Keep striving to like work on yourself. Um, so it, I started climbing out without even knowing that I was climbing out. And once I started doing that, things started to happen. Once I started changing my mindset, started thinking positively again, started like believing in the things that I believe in and, you know, letting all of that just anger go mm-hmm. just anger just just a lot of anger i i mean i didn't watch basketball for a couple years because i was just pissed <laughs> like literally like pissed like i can't believe this person's in the league and i'm not in the league for sure and and that's not who i am <laughs> that's just not who i am you know like like i'm the type of person that no, they're in the league because they deserve to be there. You know, someone someone sees something in them, and it's and it's okay. It's okay. Like like you, I've been blessed, and they deserve it. You mm-hmm. know, and and I'm not the type of I'm not the type of person that's gonna hate on somebody for doing well. Like I'm like happy that people do well. You know, like that it gives me joy when my friends succeed. Right. You know what I mean. So like I had to let all that, and but it was like eating me up. You know, and I'm and, my, and I was turning into somebody that I didn't like. You know, I didn't like the person I was turning into, so I had to let all that go. And once I did and started like really focusing in on who I am, things started to change. I, you know, I ended up taking guitar lessons. I still play the guitar to this day. Nice. I ended up, you know, getting a job, got promoted. You know, it was a hard transition for me to move to Connecticut, but I was like, I really think this is the best thing for me. Mm-hmm. I did. And then I ended up now I'm working at the league. Like all of those things happened because I let all that negative energy go. Right. Right. And, you know, I think that's so important too, because I mean, there's so many things that we can touch on with your story with the relationships that you've cultivated and built. Like I'll speak from my own experience with you, Ashley, like having known you for the last year, you know, we wouldn't be on the phone if we didn't believe each other to have right. high moral sure. character. And, you know, I think of you making mention of the relationships and connections that you then had and, 
you know, working at these different financial firms and then getting into the NBA, what do you think it was about your, not just attitude, but also the relationships that you had? What were some of the common qualities that you had there that then people were like, hey, there's an opportunity, Ashley's top of mind? Right. Um, I One of the things that, one quality that I think I have um, is just that I'm genuine, you know, and I think... <laughs> being genuine is really hard for people to do because they don't know who they are. Mm. And, and you can't be genuine if you don't know who who you're going to, what you're putting out there every day. You know what I mean? So I just try to be, you know, in the right frame of mind and being a genuine person. And if I, and be there for my friends and my friends and family when I can. And if I can't, I'm honest about that. You got to be genuine. You got to be honest. And I think people respect that. Mm-hmm. You know, and so, and then on top of those things, you're also qualified. You know, people want to be around people who are genuine, honest, and they know that you're not going to backstab them, you know, because right. you see that all the time and, you know, everywhere. People are just like out for them and backstabbing people left and right. So it's not. You know, and if you see something that's going awry, you try mm-hmm. to like steer it back to the right path or be an assistant and be a helpful ear and someone that, you know, if there's something that's happening, they can count on you to actually listen and give them good advice. So I think people sense those qualities within me mm-hmm. and was like, okay, she has a financial background. Um, she's double majored in marketing and economics. That's all great. Uh, she has a basketball background, you know, she's actually a type of person that we want to bring in because she understands the game. She understands business and I still, and I, and I'm a firm believer of, I don't know it all. So like, I'm willing to learn. So you have someone who's willing to learn genuine, honest, a good worker and qualified. Like what more do you want? what more do you want? <laughs> At least that's how I feel. Like, what, what more do you want? Like, I feel like I always have something to learn. Exactly. You know, so, and I, and I, you know, I touched a little bit about, you know, being a believer of the Lord and I, and this is something that I also always believe is that there's always like the Lord is always putting different opportunities in front of me, always putting different opportunities in front of me. Like, all the time and it's up to me to like take take that opportunity and go for it you know and and sometimes the opportunities are are a test you know to see like which path you're gonna go or what you're gonna do Mm. but there's always been an opportunity being placed in front of me and i have to be the one that's like this is this is the opportunity for me to go what and this and i believe it's going to take me down this path you know and there could have been, there's opportunities that it probably would have kept me here in Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it, it's just one of those things that, you know, I believe what's meant for me is what's meant for me, you know, and I gotta, but I have to like seek it out and make it meant for me. You know what I mean? If I love that makes it. Sense. Amen. Yeah. And you know, I'm not a big Bible thumper, but to whom much is given, much is tested. Much is, so I think right. you know, that's a great testament. No, to that. And, I, and I'm not a huge Bible thumper either, but I just have my like, core beliefs and and i know that like you know these are my these are my core beliefs and these are the things that 
um, if I put this energy out there, it will get, it will come back to me. It will be reciprocated to me, you know, and that's something that I learned from my mom. She puts out this amazing energy all the time. She's just like, do, you know, do for others, you know what I mean? And she is really like that. Like she, like she has an elevator that's going straight up. You know what I mean? That's amazing. And, and so if I could be a fraction of that, with the core beliefs that you kind of make mention of and the law of attraction that you've manifested for yourself. I think there's um, so much, and I'm so glad that you're sharing this message. What advice do you have for others who, where they may have come from a non-traditional background and are pursuing or evaluating whether or not they should pursue particular roles in, in corporate America? Yeah, you know, if you're pursuing a role in corporate America, um, you know, I think that's great. (laughs) Like, go for it. You know, there's a lot of success to be had. There's a lot of things that um, that has been, oh, this is how we do things. This is how we've done it for the last 50 years and this, that, and the other. And and sometimes that's not, you could be the change to make things better. And and we're not even talking about the actual like product that is being produced. We're talking about the culture of the environment of the company. You know, like some, sometimes you could do things this way for the last 50 years, but doesn't mean it's efficient. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that it, it is respectful of others. Doesn't mean that, you know, the things that they've done has been the right way of doing things. And, and that's okay. You could be the one that'd be like, hey, I have an idea of, of something that could be more efficient in how we do things. Don't get deterred. Um, stay the course. You know, if, you, if you're passionate about being at a certain company, LinkedIn is a really great tool to connect with people. Um, and I think more and more people are probably going to start using LinkedIn as a networking. It's always been a networking device, but I think now it's going to be even more use even more because who knows what this new normal is going to look like. How right. are you going to connect with people if you can't go out? You know, this is a device where people are respected, you know, and people want to like learn more about other people in, in a business type of way. So I've used LinkedIn to connect with people. And I think more, if you're interested in being in a certain industry, everyone's on there. <laughs> everyone's yeah. on there. So if you want to meet the president and CEO of a company, <laughs> then just do it, you know, <laughs> as, as Nike would say, just would, connect. Yeah, that's a good segue because as you were sharing your story, Ashley, um, Phil Knight, who was obviously behind the start of Nike, was he had the aspiration to be an athlete and obviously he felt as though there were particular physical limitations on him being able to do that, but he always wanted to kind of be behind sports. So yeah, to your point, just do it. I think there's so much to reinforce with what you said around the willingness to learn, the mindset, the openness to ideas that, you know, really needs to be underlined. And I think I encourage everyone who's listening to this to kind of take home and reflect on that particular message that you're sharing. Uh, It's so huge, so huge right now, uh, especially given the year that we've had thus far right. in 2020. You know, it's, it's been crazy. And, and Phil, even though, you know, he, and Phil was really smart about it too. 
just like i can't do this <laughs> you know what i mean like and it takes you got to know yourself to know your limitations and be like look i i can't i can't really i'm not the athlete as prefontaine yeah. you know but but prefontaine is going to be one of the best long distance runners known to mankind and you know what i can make him better by creating a waffle shoe at which i actually have on a waffle Beautiful. shoe yeah that you know, can help hold the tread, you know, help hold the tread and help, help him become even faster. You know, like that's the type of innovation and people that you want to be around because they're like, okay, well, I can't, I can't do this, but I know I can help someone else be better. Right. There's so many inspirational stories like this, uh, like yours. And I think, you know, if we kind of pivot now to, you know, what's been going on in America, you know, there's been a tremendous quote unquote burden placed on members of the black community in general, but specifically in the framework of corporate environments, which we've been discussing thus far, uh, and, and specifically for black employees to speak and share how they're feeling and in many respects ask, be asked on the spot how they're feeling. And I think, you know, there's certainly something to be said or commented on with regards to that. But since then, or during this process, thankfully many organizations are taking or have taken the stance towards greater representation. And hopefully we see action and change in our lifetime. Was curious, Ashley, with you know, your experience, what are some of the additional pressures that you feel as a black female within corporate America? Yeah. Um, you know, to talk a little bit about what you just said, you know, I was asked to speak, you know, and, and on a zoom, on a zoom call with a lot of my colleagues and, you know, not necessarily ready to have this conversation with people. Mm-hmm. But was, you know, had to think back and, and, and it was crazy because like it was a message before the call, like, hey, we think you're a leader. We think you're doing this. Would you want to t- talk about some of your things, your experiences? And then it was like during the call, Ashley, do you have anything to say? Mm-hmm. You know, and you're like, all right, well, now I have to share a story that is embarrassing is like all these different things but at the end of the day i was like you know what my my white counterparts have no idea they have no idea they have no idea what it's like you know being black in america and i'm like a double minority i'm like black and female so like you know you have no idea what it's like um you know having having a cop pull a gun out on you you know, I do because it's happened to me, you know, or being just shooting hoops with your with your mom at the field and cops bum rush the field and you are getting frisked for no reason. I do because it's happened to me, you know, like they have no clue what it's like, you know, walking around, um, you know, driving through the streets of Connecticut late at night, not knowing if you're going to get pulled over for being in a neighborhood that has $2 million homes. You have no idea what any of that feels like, 
you know? So like I had to swallow my pride and like educate on people. And, And then I start thinking about it after, after, you know, I told the story, it was just like super emotional, just, just talking about it. It was just super emotional to begin with. But then I had to sit there and think about it. And I'm like, okay, you know, I've had so many successes in, within my life, so many successes. And if that stuff can happen to me, you know, it can, it can happen to like, don't think that this stuff isn't real. Right. Because it, because it can happen to me and it has happened to me. And I've, you know, and I've talked about how I try to live my life, you know, so it's not like I'm immune to any of this because I'm not, you know, we, we as black, you know, people, we have to have a conversation with our kids that white people don't have to have. You know, like I've had conversations with my family about, you know, when you get pulled over, this is, these are the things that you have to do, you know, like, you know, when you, when you go out, you know, you need to be aware of your surroundings. You need to be aware of what's going on because I, I mean, I've had my principal in, in high school, he would lecture me every day, every day he would pull me aside and give me a lecture, mm-hmm. you know, to this day, he still asked me if I need a lecture so, and one of these days I'm going to take him up on it and I'm going to have him give me a lecture. But I mean, it was, you know, the lectures could range from, you know, you're the only person who could screw this up. Actually, like you have really great potential to do really great things to like, you have to be mindful of the situations that you're putting yourself in. Like you can't afford to get arrested. Like you can't, you can't afford to get arrested. Like, you know, so if, if I go to a party, like my school was 99% white and affluently right, white kids, you know? So like, if I go to a party that they're throwing and I get caught up in the mix, they're, they're going to have great lawyers to get them off. Actually, their parents are probably lawyers that can get them off, you know, but it's going to be very difficult for me to do those things or to have that same opportunity unless that lawyer defended all of us, you know what I mean? Which probably won't be the case because I wouldn't be able to afford that attorney that they're able to afford. So like, I couldn't, I couldn't put myself in those situations. So that's just culturally growing up, you know, and just living life (laughs) as a black woman. Now let's talk about being black and a woman in corporate America, which is totally different because we can't, I mean, I've seen it. I've seen it where, you know, a woman tries to speak her mind and speaks intelligently about a topic. And it's like, after the meeting, it's like, oh, she was really PMSing today. Or, you know, I can't believe she said that. But if Bob says the same thing, oh, man, way to be aggressive, Bob. Way to Mm -hmm. go for what you really want. You know what I mean? So like, you know, as a woman, you're faced with these things. Oh, well, she's feeling like this today. She must be, it must be that time of the month. Or, and then as a black woman, it's, she's so aggressive. Why do you have to be so aggressive? Why do you have to be, why do you have to talk in that, talk to me in that tone? I feel threatened by you, you know? So, so I go into meetings sometimes knowing that there's something to be said. Sometimes I have to pick my battles, no pun intended. I have to pick my battles as to like, how I'm going to say this, what tone am I using? 
how this other person's going to feel after I say this. And, and sometimes I come home at the end of the day and I'm exhausted. It's exhausting. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, it's truly exhausting. And you're just like, man, I only had a couple meetings, but why am I so tired? It's because you've been literally using every ounce of your brain to try to make somebody else feel comfortable. Facts before, during, and after the meeting, all the way down to pre-pandemic, like how you're dressed or For sure. you know, how you present yourself. For sure. For sure. Like, am I, am I dressed too provocatively? Do, is my skirt too tight? Is it, am I not, do I not look professional enough? And like, I mean, it's, it's really crazy. Like, you know, and then you, go on the woman's side of things and I've seen it where people are like, you know, I want to get a raise. I want to do more. I want to, I think I, I think I can handle more of a workload. Oh, you should be happy that you're here. Mm. You know, but again, if, if Bob goes in, Hey, you know, I think, I think I deserve a raise. You know, I want more workload workload. Oh, Bob, what do you want to do? You know what I mean? Like, it it's the the passive aggressiveness the you know the connection that people have towards whatever people for whatever reason not even the un, unbiases that you see is yeah. crazy in corporate america so if you're and sometimes they don't mean to do it it's just there it's, it's just great it's unconscious Correct. like they don't they don't know that they're doing these things, you know, but this is like, it's a, it's an unconscious bias that they have towards women and towards black people and towards black women, you know, like it's, and you, as a black woman, you go into corporate America. If you're planning on doing those things, you got to know that this is how it is because you're going to have to break down some barriers and break down some walls and be like, you know, why are they not looking at me for this promotion, but I do twice the work as this person and I'm not getting promoted. Know that you may get passed up Mm -hmm. and you have to be likable. You have to be those things. You can't, you can't argue every time, argue for something every time you think something's unjust. You just can't. And as unfair as that sounds, it's the way it is it's the way it is. And you really have to like be strategic in what battles you want to, to attack. I'd be kind of curious to hear your thoughts. Like in terms of action, what would you like to see happen in corporate America? Um, I would really like to see more opportunities for minorities to go move up the corporate ladder who can provide other opportunities for minorities. Um, I mean, I feel like if, if you had more diversity at the top, mm-hmm. you wouldn't, you wouldn't have had these, these, unless they strategically did it, but you wouldn't have like these companies that are putting, you know, a black face with big lips on t-shirts. You know, there should be a black person in the room or multiple black people in the room that's like, nah, this is not going to fly. This is not going to fly. Like you are literally culturally 
disrespecting people, intentionally disrespecting people who buy our product. And it's not, it's not all people. It's a specific race that you're mm-hmm. disrespecting, mm-hmm. you know? And, and I feel like if you, if you had more people at the top, and I mean, I'm talking about everywhere, you know, uh, if you want to look at teams, there's not very many black head coaches. There's not many black owners. There's not very many black GMs out there, but there's a ton of black athletes. There's a ton of black athletes. If you mm-hmm. want to look or- organizational wise within, um, you know, the structure of, you know, even the NBA, there's not very many black people who are running departments. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, there's not very many, there, it's just, it's just the way it is. Like there isn't very many people who are at the top there. And I've seen, I've seen the uh, board of governors meetings. Like I've seen it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. So there, there needs to be, I would like to see more change, you know? And I think the mini strike that the NBA players did um, and the WNBA players did uh, will help put pressure on the owners to do more, you know? And, and I think you'll start to see at least some of them doing more within the community, the owners doing more within the community and getting more using their connections to do more. Like, I think that's, that has to happen because the owners, they know everybody, they know everybody. And if they can put pressure on people that they know that are running fortune 500 companies to do more, then I think we can really see some change within corporate America. Um, And, and I would really like to see, America in general, embrace our past, Mm. you know, because it's not pretty, but if you, if you're over here saying that, Oh, well this happened 400 years ago, it's like, no, it happened 50. Like a lot of this stuff happened 50 years ago in my mother's lifetime. So like, you know, we got to embrace the fact that shit's been fucked up for a really long time. And and I understand that some of you may lose power because of it or think you lose the power that you may have and you don't want to do that, you know, but we're not going to see real growth until people embrace our past so we can move forward in the future. Yeah, so well said. And, you know, to validate what you're sharing, I mean, I've traveled the world and mainly North America in business meetings and you know in the lobby area i look through the 10k or the earnings report and i always flip to the board of directors and everybody looks the same and you know i dream of in this lifetime that we start to see greater representation at all levels and you know we're not even touching on we're just focusing in on corporate America. We're not even touching on and scratching the surface on systemic racism and the wealth gap that exists in the U S but I uh, applaud and, and appreciate everything that the NBA, WNBA, Adam Silver support, everything that was, that occurred over that time frame. I really admired it. And quite frankly, like I'm a big basketball fan had the I mean, I texted you had the season, 
ended there, I thought, you know, I would have been happy. I would have been happy. So, um, yeah. yeah. The thing, the thing that's, you know, it's, it's crazy because, you know, obviously like the bubble is there's so much, there's so much riding on it. And I'm, and, and of course, you know, financially, there's a lot, a lot riding on it being successful. Like, I think we all know that, like, we all know that there was just a lot of money riding on it. Um, but for the, this country, it, and it was just a lot of, for the NBA and the WNBA to be the first to come back and be successful, mm-hmm. I think it meant a lot for this country to to have something to look at that's positive and have something to look at as as a sense of hope as right. a, a sense of we can make it through this if if they could put together a bubble to be to put on really for for us and it's successful like we as a people can get through this i really think it it can you know the bubble is a sense of hope and then the things that are going to come out of it you know, more, more owners being held more accountable and like, and things like that. I, I just think it was, the timing was impeccable. Um, and, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully people, people can learn and if, and become educated on things that, you know, they may not have, have known. And speaking of education, just, the fact that a lot of the stuff that black people in particularly went through mm-hmm. isn't being taught in our education system, but I know everything there is to know about Christopher Columbus, but I know nothing about our true, our true history here is a shame. You know, like my mom, not that I got in trouble a lot cause I really didn't. I was a pretty good kid, but every once in a while, all kids do something that piss their parents off. It's inevitable. Mm-hmm. And so instead of me, you know, you're on punishment. I'm taking this away. I'm doing this. Like my mom would make me do book reports on the things that just uh, weren't being taught in school. So like I would have to do book reports on, you know, it, and it always had to be, I always had to be somebody of like, African descent. So it's either straight up from the motherland or like African American descent. And I mean, it was just always, you know, she made me learn about what was, what was really going on because this stuff wasn't being taught in our school system and the history classes, you know, um, we know everything there is to know about Hitler and the Nazis and, you know, and the Holocaust and stuff like that. But but I had no clue that slavery went on for so much time and that people are, you know, they're, you know, it's really crazy. What's up? Is that you have people who are like, that happened so long ago. Mm. Like, why are you, um, why do you care? It happened so much long ago. We're not like that. And then those same people are like, well, the Confederate flag is a part of my heritage. <laughs> like I don't want to get rid of it, and you're like, wait, but this is the same. Okay, so you really don't really care about black people. You just like you're just want us to forget about it and just think be honest with it, time. right? Yeah. Like let's yeah. just call it, you know, just call it what it is. Like you don't yeah. really, 
you don't really care that we're traumatized, but, but the Confederate flag has been a part of my heritage this entire time, even though we use it as an intimidating symbol to instruct fear amongst other nationalities and other races. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool. Thanks. You know, you, you touch on education as well. Growing up in, in Canada, you know, we certainly learned about the natives, uh, the, the British and, and the French, the French, I should say, and then the British. But when it came to slavery in the U.S., we only were exposed to and learned the Canadian perspective in around the Underground Railroad. But I don't think, and I, I, I don't recall us going deep into what was actually happening south of the border. Right. So, you know, this isn't just a, a U.S. Uh, thing. So for anyone that's yeah. listening in Canada, hey, this is this is Canadians and Canadian history as well. Yeah, not only that, I mean, you guys have like the Caribbean slave trade and all that stuff that was happening, you know, where not they just didn't land in America, but they landed in Canada. That's so correct. there's just so much stuff to go with, you know, your history that you know, people definitely need to be aware of because our history is your history too. Exactly. Exactly. And shout out to my friend, Christina Leslie, who actually has an aspiration and a dream to photograph that from Africa through the Caribbean, up through the States and into, I believe it was in the maritime provinces. So like Nova Scotia or something like that. So I was, I'm reading a book right now called Barracoon. Okay. I don't know. If, I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's um, it's about this guy. I mean, it's just a crazy story. So, he, um, you know, the barracks of a mm-hmm. boat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's where it comes from. Mm. It's called the, bar- the barracoon. So, like, it, it's literally talking about the last slave ship that came from Africa to the states, and it was it illegally transported. And like slavery was already abolished and this and the other, but they were still bringing people over. Mm-hmm. And um, so it talks about, and the guy, it talks about his journey from leaving Africa on the ships, coming to America, being a slave, getting his freedom. And it's just like going through like that whole process. And the, mm. so there was a, a lady, I can't, I can't think of her name right now who wrote the book. She, you know how people, authors, when they're doing like a historical event and they're interviewing somebody, oftentimes what the transcript is, in, it's interpreted through their lens. Mm-hmm. She doesn't do that. Mm. So like, so like if, if, if he says something that's like grammatically incorrect or it isn't announced, enunciated properly. Perfect she uses his dialect and how he's, how it sounds to her, mm. you know, and, and that's how it's written. But you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Of course. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you're not, you know, you're not like, oh, okay. Well, what, what is he trying to say here? Like you, could you know, you speak slang, like, you know what he's saying. And um, so it, I'm almost done with it, but it's, it's a pretty good read, quick read too. It's not, it's not that long, but it's, um, it's an interesting read and some of it will make you upset. Some of it will just be like, I don't know if I could have lived back then. And, and we're, but we're not talking about 400 years ago. Like this is like early 1900s. Jeez. Yeah. You know, this is like, this interview happens like early, like early 
early to mid 1900s. Like it's not people, people are just passing away who was born in 1911. So like, it's, you know, it's definitely within the realm of reality of like, Oh, it's not that long ago. Like this, this stuff is embedded in a lot of people from generations to generations. Very cool. Well, uh, we'll definitely have to include that in the show notes and, it sounds like a conversation I'll have with Christina, who I just, uh, who yeah, I just uh, I, talked about, who uh, comes from Jamaican descent. So, um, the on the just to kind of close out this topic, I've had a lot of conversations and have had podcast episodes with uh, loved ones and friends who are white and are allies, um, and was just kind of curious, actually, if you have any words of encouragement for. Uh, members of our communities who are, uh, you know, obviously in support of the other Black Lives Matter movement or um, people of color just in general who want to be allies or who are challenging themselves to self-educate on the path of their allyship. What advice or words of encouragement do you have for our allies? Yeah, it's, it's not, I know it's not easy. You know, like I know, I know it's not easy. I know it's difficult to come to terms with a lot of the things that, you know, black people are saying um, and actually that have been saying for a long time. Um, but to actually see it is, is different. Um, and I think it's, it's really like, a, it's really like a spider web, you know, so it's going to start little by you educating yourself. Um, and once you get some of that education, feel free to talk to your friends who may have gone through something. I think educating yourself first is important. Just going to them and, and asking them questions, I think is, I think it's, un, it's unfair, you know, to your, to your friends who yeah. may, may or may not have gone through some things who may or may not be, who want to express their stories immediately. But I think if you can educate yourself first, then I think you guys could have some real dialogue, but also by a spider web, I mean, it's going to start small. And if you see something that's unjust, you go and you, you know, talk about it with that person. And then they then become allies. And then when they see something that's unjust, they'll talk to those people and then they'll become allies. And by the time you know it, you by you just doing your little part, you've created 50 people who, 50 plus people who understand, who knows, and they're, and they're then stopping injustice things from happening or things that are being said that, oh, it's just a joke. No, it's rude. It's rude. Yeah. yeah. You know, and so I think it's, it's important because oftentimes, you know, when black people are in a room and something said, they let it go. They don't say anything. They let it go. I mean, it, there's been time I've been in a room, they let it go, you know, and it's, and you chuckle about it, but it stings. Mm -hmm. And because you're probably the only person of that's a minority in that room, you don't say anything. 
you know, and it, it's, it's important for other people to understand, you know, and, and when you see those things happening, you can call them out too, because it, you know, you know, they say like people cry wolf all the time Mm -hmm. and, you know, black people have done it for such a long time that people don't necessarily believe them when they say it, even though it's true even though it's true or even though it may hurt, they just don't believe them. But you need, you know, you need white allies, you know, that can help stand up for it. And this is a little off topic, but it's just, but it relates. So I have a friend who lives in Baltimore. Yeah. A really good friend of mine. And they do a lot of different events and marches and this, that, and the other. Um, there's, you know, people who are white, that's in the organization black. I mean, it's, it's very welcoming. Um, but she told me, she was like, do you think I go down to get a permit Mm. so we can do these things? No, I don't like my white counterpart goes down and asks for the permit and secures the permit because for whatever reason, you know, that my skin colors inflicts fear in other people, you know, and we know that as black people, you know, that growing up, like, you know, you know, it's, it's not right, but it does. And like, yeah, you know, and people, black people, oftentimes they'll crack jokes and this and the other just to make everybody in the room feel comfortable because at some point, they're going to look at you like, oh, well, they're not that bad. Like, literally, I've, I've been in rooms where people have said it. You know, oh, you're pretty for a black person. Like, what nationality are you? I'm like, no, I'm black. Yeah. No, you can't be. Like, you're, you don't have black features. Like, what's black features? Please enlighten me. You know, well, you don't have big lips. And, like, your nose is really thin. Like, I've, I've had it said to me. Yeah. I'm like, and then, and then I'm like, no, my mommy's black. My daddy's black. My grandma's black. My grandfather's black. Like everybody's black, black. You know what I mean? And so like it, oh, well, you don't have hair like normal black people. What's black people hair texture supposed to be like? like, literally I get it all the time. Yeah. All the time. And you know, so it, it helps. It helps when you have, an ally in the room that's just like why do you want to touch her hair yeah you know what i mean like leave her alone like do you like is somebody coming up to you like let me touch your hair you know like no mm-hmm. like you know and, and and i'm just talking about hair like i'm not even talking about all the other stuff that we've talked about yeah but i mean it, it be be the start of the spider web you know, if there's something that I could say, it's just be the start of the spider web. I love it. It's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. It's going to be difficult. Be the start of the spider web. Thank you, Ashley. And I know specific people that I know would value your message. And for everyone else listening who's on their own particular journey, you know, we're going to keep talking about it. This is, it's a journey. It's not going to happen overnight. So I love the, the start of the spider web example. So coming full circle here, you know, yeah. there's, this has been such a, a tremendous conversation. You and I we probably like need to do, I, exactly, this is like <laughs> normal for us. Um, but, 
you know, we're, you know, you, you spent some time in the bubble uh, in July yeah. and actually this has nothing to do with the bubble. It was more so just you being in your own thoughts and having perhaps more time to yourself than you normally would. It just in general, Ashley, where do you see yourself in, let's say 10 years from now? And what do you see yourself? Like, what does that look like? What do you see yourself kind of doing for yourself, for your community? We're just kind of curious to hear, yeah, how you kind of envision your place in the world. Yeah. Um, you know, I've, I've always wanted to be a person of, you know, just inflicting change um, and, and being a role model for people. Um, and hopefully, like, my journey can inspire other people to do, to do well and to, keep their, to make their mark on the world. Um, a friend of mine that I went to school with, she always told me that like UConn basketball isn't going to be the thing that defines us the most. Mm. And, and, you know, and I'm a firm believer of that. Like, so, I mean, I see myself in a leadership position, um, at, at a company where I can create a team and, and a team of diversity, a diverse team where mm -hmm. you get different perspectives. Um, Cause I think that's just so important to have like, you, you know, people with different backgrounds to create perspective on things. Um, and really just kind of letting, helping people grow in their roles. So I can ship them out so they can do great things. You know, mm -hmm. like I don't, I don't want to be the person that harbors, harbors um, great talent. Like I want to, I want them to find themselves as well. Like obviously you need talented people around you, but I want to continue to help find people so they can do their passion. And if it's with me, that's great. If not, like, let me, let me introduce you to somebody who I think could help you get there. Um, and I think people don't do that enough. You know, yeah. I, I feel Facts. like people don't, you know, I mean, you and I, we talk about this all the time. Like, I mean, you've done that for me and I'm, you know, I've done that for you. It, it's just like, no, nah, just, you gotta let people spread their wings, man, and let them fly. And, and if they fall, you help them up and, and you toss them out there again, you know? And, um, you know, I just really think, you know, that's the type of, that's just who I am naturally. And I want to, you know, be helpful to people. And if I can't do it, it's, it's, you know, it's not that big of a deal for me to recommend somebody else who can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Spider web. You and I share, it's interesting because I've never asked you this question before, of course, but you and I literally share a very similar passion and mm -hmm. vision for the future. So I think in our, in our next conversation offline, we should definitely kind of touch on that because yeah. You know, for me, as I'm going through my own self-reflection on it, like I want to be, I want to be the example. I want to be the example. And, you know, I think the journey internal, the internal battle, so to speak, is like, well, what would that entail? <laughs> what type of, what type of challenges will I have to kind of overcome? And I'm sure you and I can kind of talk through that later. What does the word ambition mean to you, Ashley? I mean, it means so many different things like but it's for me it's like learning 
you know, and if I'm ambitious about, you know, learning different things, then I can be extremely valuable. Um, so like being ambitious about like learning, you know, a new language or learning new, not necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be like schoolwork per se, but it's just being ambitious about creating a better, a better you. So like if I'm in a, if I'm in a space where I'm doing, I'm creating knowledge for myself, then I'm able to be like that spider web, you know, not only, not only can you be a spider web about, you know, learning about, you know, art, the history of America, but I could be a spider web about learning about corporate America. You know, we just talked about, you know, what, what it's like to be, you know, black and a woman in corporate America. So no, knowing, having this knowledge, I can then help other, you know, younger people who are aspiring to be in corporate America, you know, Hey, no, you gotta, you gotta know this game before you get in there. Let me, let me plug you in <laughs> of what, of what's out there and what's probably going to come. So if I can, if I can be the spiderweb and different things, then, then it just creates a whole bunch of, you know, spiders out there creating their own web, you know, with something that I learned. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Now I know why we get along so well. (laughs) That's great. So just to close out here, Ashley, I just wanted to, you know, thank you for blessing me, blessing our listeners with your story, your perspective, your genuineness. If people are interested in finding you, reaching out to you for either speaking engagements or just to follow you and, and kind of understand, learn more about Ashley Battle, how can people find you? Uh, Instagram, it's Ashley Battle. It's pretty easy, easy to find me. Um, Twitter, it's the underscore battle underscore zone. I, I really need to change that to Ashley Battle, but I think somebody probably already has it now, but it's uh, the battle zone. Um, you know, LinkedIn, you can find me, Ashley Battle. Um, email, well, my email address may be changing soon, so I'll, I'll leave that out. Um, but, you know, I'm always on Instagram. I'm always on Twitter. So those are really two good ways to, uh, to find me. Beautiful. And I'll definitely be sure to include that in the show notes. But Ashley, I can't thank you enough. This is been such a, a rewarding experience and I and many of our listeners I'm sure are excited to see you know what's next for you and you know to follow you your career and, and honestly just be inspired man no thanks for having me it's been really great it's always great you know talking to you like literally we could do this for hours and um you know touch on so many different so many different things uh it you know I'm really proud of you, man. I'm really proud of you. I think that he's really going to take off and be super successful. Um, I'm glad you thought of me to come on and, you know, hopefully I can do it again sometime. That's it for this episode of Driving Ambition. I'm your host, Adrian Ambition. Please be sure to subscribe or follow this podcast, leave a review, and follow drivingambition.life on Instagram. <laughs>